The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 110 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. So we got P Nate and Chris in the studio here today. Garage Mahal. We're actually going to do the episode that we talked about doing last week, yeah, which is good. Yeah. It's so there's thing. no prep there's this no week, <laughs> <laughs> which we're not great at prep anyway. That's an inside joke for those who know we're not good at prep. There was a time where our prep was like we would text on like Monday, be like, what do you want to talk about on the day we, we normally record on Wednesdays? Now it's like, I'm on my way. What are we doing? <laughs> what are we talking about this week? We're Honestly, life's just been busy and... Uh, you have three little ones. Yes, they are little. You're, and your I kids like now outnumber you. I was actually just talking to Grace, who's our church administrator. I was just talking to her about this today where it was I, we were talking about something and I was like, but I feel like Chris does everything. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, heads up, we're going to ask you to do something, but I feel like you do everything I don't. Church. I, I feel like I feel like I used to do a lot more than I do. No, I'm glad you feel that way because you're about to get asked <laughs> to do something. So, uh, so we are the Rebel Podcast. Uh, we are part of the Rebel Alliance Media. Uh, we have several podcasts. We got a podcast that comes out for your kids, Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids. It comes out on Monday. Tuesday is Awakening Reformation Podcast with Grant and Erica Van Brimmer. Uh, today is Wednesday, and so uh, you're listening to the Rebel Podcast. On Thursdays, Ben Emery drops his Redeeming History Podcast. It goes through seasons, so uh, sometimes it's uh, uh, between seasons, as it is right now. Uh, but season one was great, and if you didn't listen, you should go back and listen to it. And then on uh, Fridays, Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity does the podcast for cultural reformation so we're jam full and then on facebook we dropped some videos a lot of them have been pro-life challenge videos recently but we're back to uh dropping some of the uh cultural engagement videos that we do blogs on the website just go to rebelliancemedia.com you can get it all there yeah absolutely. I, i'm glad you did that part of the, the show because i was thinking about this the other day it's like I don't think I can remember how much stuff is going. Like, <laughs> it's good. So, yeah. There was a time where like, it was like, we do the podcast and we might have some videos for you. <laughs> yeah. And now it's like, we have all this stuff and it's not us obviously, but I mean like, because the network's expanded, we got so many great people and jo- like joined in that there's so much stuff happening. Like I, I'm, I'm one of us and I have a hard time keeping up with it all. Yeah, it's totally. so good. And so, so I would just encourage you, like for those of you who, uh, I know we know you don't maybe have time to listen to a podcast every single day. Um, but for some of you, our podcast might be, uh, what, uh, what helps you, uh, maybe Van Brimmers who sometimes kind of just pick a t- uh, theological topic quite often and kind of work their way through it. Uh, right now they're doing, uh, uh, some, some awesome stuff with the systematics for saplings. So kids, 
systematic theology, which is so good. Um, you know, maybe <laughs> such a great name. Yeah, dude. totally. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, you know, find your, find your flavor, find what, uh, what works for you. Follow that. You don't have to follow everything on the network, but, uh, but we sure appreciate all of our supporters, which brings us to Patreon, patreon.com slash rebel Alliance. If, if you are looking for a way to give back to the show, because the content has been helpful or meaningful or encouraging to you, we would encourage you to go there. Uh, thanks so much for those who are supporting the show that way. Yeah. And like, we really just want to go to Mexico. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. just jokes, <laughs> jokes. Missions? Yeah, yeah, we can go on missions to Mexico? Yeah, yeah. Hey, there. That, that hits the theme, should we ever get there this episode. But yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so a couple pieces of Rebel news. Um, there's, there's, there's one. Uh, you have one that I don't know how serious it is. I have one that's not so serious, and then a couple where it might we might talk about it for a little while. Yeah, so, I, let me, can I go first? Go for it. Sweet. Um, so this is in Ontario. This is a real thing. And I've, <laughs> so, Usually when you preface this is a real thing, things are about to get ridiculous. Well, I, f- I find this ridiculous. Some people might not find this that ridiculous, but I find this ridiculous, basically. I, I couldn't think of a better word. Yep. Um, so parents are suing a hospital in Ontario for $800,000. That's a lot of dough. For wrongful pregnancy. Now, immediately I know because it's the rebels, you're probably thinking, oh, they botched like An they abortion. Botched abortion. Yeah, yeah. No, that's not the case. Morning after pill didn't work or something. <laughs> you know, no, that's basically what happened is the the woman went in for surgery and at the same time they were going to supposed to tie the fallopian tubes. Forgot to tie the tie the tie the tubes. Forgot. The doctors <laughs> forgot. Were they in there for more than one thing? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So often oftentimes if you like that that's the case, they were just like, Oh, I'll do it at the same time. So they drop in a a junior mint or something? Like, I have no idea. I have no idea. It's a Seinfeld reference. That's, <laughs> it for cured, those of you too it young. cured him. <laughs> anyway, um, so they're suing the hospital now for eight hundred thousand dollars because, Man. in their were in their minds, that the, claiming the cost of raising the daughter shouldn't fall to them alone. So they're suing because, like, the hospital is now responsible. Now, on one hand, the late, the, like, medically, you shouldn't forget to. F- Tie the tubes if that's on the agenda. <laughs> that's on the, like, <laughs> let's say there's three things on the agenda. That's only three things. Exactly. If they were suing for like, you know, a bot, like malpractice or some yeah. sort of like, I wouldn't actually have that big of a problem with this. What I have a problem with is where, where my mind goes is that you have now publicly put out. That you don't want your kid. That, exactly. That this is a mistake. Yeah. And, not and only I don't is know mistake, how we're going to deal pay, with this mistake. I don't want to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hit me. Well, yeah. And so I think this comes back to, again, you know, there are a lot of reasons that we're as passionate as we are about uh, abortion and, and, uh, and pro-life legislation and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think this is just another example of how our society does not see children the way the Bible sees children, right? Children are a blessing. I, I know in, in pre-marriage counseling, I always tell um, couples when I, I try to help them see the, the value of having kids and the, the blessing that kids are, biblically speaking. And that one of the first things I say is, you know, um, when are you expecting to have kids, right? And some people don't, you know, some people, you know, depending on who they are or you know, how they came to, to do pre-marriage counseling with me, um, might get offended that I'm even asking that. Um, but really what I'm trying to do is encourage them to have kids and have kids young and have lots of kids because I think that's biblical. Um, but, but on top of that, the other thing I always want to say is even if you plan on allowing yourself to finish school before you start having kids or whatever the case may be, which I, I, I think there are, there are sinful motivations 
that can lead people to not have kids or to delay having kids. But I don't think it's always a sinful motivation. So there might be some people who say, you know, I got two years left in school. You know, we want to try to be careful. We'd rather get, you know, we, I'd rather finish my degree. You know, I might ask some questions, but, you know, I'm not going to call them out on sin for that necessarily. <laughs> Sometimes I do. Um, but what's interesting is that um, what, I, what I always try to say is that the, the news that somebody is pregnant the news that your wife is pregnant should never be bad news. So you should always be ready for that announcement, which means that you can't sit here and say, you know, we will not have kids in two years because that's not an option because, you know, the, the marriage bed is supposed to be a fruitful place. And, uh, but on top of that, it's the, um, you know, financially ready, right? It's, it's all those kinds of things. So you need to be ready to bring kids into the world. And for that news to be wonderful news, it ought to be the blessing that God means it to be. But we live in a culture that doesn't value kids like that. We live in a, a, a culture that says kids are an inconvenience. They're a, they're a drain on your time. They're a drain on your money. They're a drain on whatever the case may be. They might be inhibiting you from being all that you can be. This is where that whole shout your abortion movement comes from, right? Is like, talk about how great my life is now and how bad it would have been should I, if I didn't have my abortion, right? It's horrible. And I think that the, the, the fact that, you know, lawsuits like this can go through just shows the overall devaluation of children in our society. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think it. I think it's uh, like I find this, a f- and I feel bad for the kid. I, right? I like, feel terrible for the ch- yeah. the child now. Probably this will never get thrown at them in, when they're older because it'll get buried. Well, where their money came from, like eight hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> like I, I don't know how rich they are. I wouldn't be able to hide eight hundred thousand dollars. That would drastically change my lifestyle. <laughs> you know, I'd be getting it's a Patreon. Porsche. No. I'm <laughs> No, no, but you know what I mean? Like suddenly finances aren't a worry for us anymore. And, and like, why is that? Well, you know, this, this child's going to grow up with what schooling paid for. I mean, I don't know what their job is, but like, I I'm sure it's going to be out there. I'm sure somebody like, you don't think that they've got a, a gossipy aunt. Like we all have a gossipy aunt, right? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? Like something's going to get back to this child and and it's just going to like heap on this. Oh, my parents didn't want me. I was a mistake. Like they didn't want to pay for me. They, you know, they sued. What wouldn't have, what would have happened if they didn't get that money? Would, would they have abandoned me? Would they have given me up for adoption? Would they have aborted me? Right? Like. Exactly. And and that's kind of where like, and as somebody who doesn't have children, um, not because of the other reasons that you mentioned, but like, um, I look at this and I'm like, I'm offended by this because it's like, you have like, I don't, I don't have a problem with people saying, okay, I've, I've had five kids. That's enough. Right. Or I've had three kids and that's enough. I don't know your conviction on how many kids people are going to have. Um, what I find it offensive was when you're able to do that and you're just like, I'm just choosing, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not happy and I'm not happy about it so much so that I'm going to like ask for somebody else to pay for it because yeah. I don't want any I don't want any inconvenience to me it actually makes me upset because be like, I'll take the kid and I don't need the doctor to take 800,000 bucks from like right. I don't and, that, and that's honestly and that's the that's the sad thing like whether it's the abortion industry whether you know all all of these all of these ways in which our society doesn't value children you know, I've, I've walked so many couples through whether it's infertility or, or the, you know, the, you could go on and on with the list The but you know, I know so many Christian couples who would, who would give their life right for, you know, a, a few years to raise their own children. And, uh, and yet you have these people who are aborting kids because it's inconvenient. It's not the right timing. It's, it's the wrong gender that happens. Right. It's anyway, it's ridiculous. Um, okay. So let's take a a turn here. Um, uh, 
So uh, my wife took uh, our daughter, Quinn. Um, actually, we might get some hate mail on this because um, there might be a whole lot of legalistic people who are like, you shouldn't be taking her to the movies that young or whatever. But anyway, she took <laughs> Quinn, who's, who's turning four soon, uh, to watch the new Aladdin movie, right? And oh. yeah, I know you should have seen the picture. Like she's got a thing of popcorn the size of her head and she's <laughs> wrapped up in a blanket and she was just super excited. It was mommy, dad, mommy, daughter date night. And they went to, uh, they went to the movies and they had a wonderful time and, you know, she followed it a little bit and we wondered like, is this going to be a bit above her? Is it going to be kind of scary for her? Like what, like what SJW crap is Disney going to jam into this story? Um, and, uh, and so anyway, we brought her and, you know, Colleen kind of talked her through some, some parts and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So you'd have to talk to her whether or not you think it's uh, appropriate for a four-year-old, but anyway, all that to say, they, they did watch it. They had a wonderful time. It was more about the connection between the two of them than it was the movie. There's my caveat, but here's, here's what the, it was interesting. So Colleen was, uh, and I were kind of debriefing the movie a little bit and I asked, you know, it's Disney. So what SJW crap did they jam into the movie? And it's interesting. So one of the, I would say one of the, like you've seen the, the original, obviously, right? Oh, the, yeah. Yeah. The original Disney cartoon was one of my favorite Disney movies. And one of the, the, the major themes of the movie is that, um, the desire for power corrupts, right? So you have, you know, you have Aladdin who wants to be rich and famous, and he kind of has a heart transition through the thing when he falls in love with Jasmine and that whole thing, right? You have Jafar who's, um, who's kind of lust for power, right? Um, totally destroys him. Like he, 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 he wastes all his wishes because each wish doesn't give him enough power that he, you know, um, doesn't, doesn't satisfy his craving for power that he wants, right? So, so the first thing is this is Sultan, right? He wants the power. He wants the respect. He wants all that kind of stuff. And then his second one is to be the world's most powerful sorcerer. So he can make the people who won't bow to him as Sultan, um, cower before him. Right. I think that's even the line. And then he recognizes he's still second in power, even to the genie and makes himself a genie, you know, as Aladdin kind of, uh, tricks him knowing his lust for power is going to lead him to, you know, wish himself into a lamp. So, you know, that's one of the main themes of the entire show, uh, the entire movie. And interestingly, like you even see, so Princess Jasmine, who has power, desires to be a commoner. She doesn't want the power. She recognizes that it it brings limitations and it actually restricts her freedom and her happiness. She wants just to be free like Aladdin. And Aladdin wants to be live in, live in the palace and all that. And there's that scene where the two of them are looking at the castle. She's dressed as a peasant, pretending that she's not the princess. And he's saying, wouldn't it be great to live there? And she's like, you know, basically it's not as great as you think, right? So this is a major theme in the yeah. book of Aladdin. Which you think is like, that's a good, that's a good, right? Pride comes before destruction, the Bible says, right? The desire for power is an evil one. So that's good. But one of the things that they changed in this new movie, so spoiler alerts for anybody who wants to see it, but, um, and it's just a small tweak. It's not like a big thing. It's just like when Beauty and the Beast did the, you know, the, the gay character on the sidelines just to kind of throw something in there is, so in this movie, Jasmine wants to be a sultan, she wants to be the 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 ruler, so so the um, the the point there is that she's not trying to escape palace life. She's actually trying to bend the rules because she's a woman and she can't be sultan, but she still wants to be sultan. And you know, I, I won't say what happens kind of in the end, but it's interesting. So the the kind of traditional view of I would say even the biblical view of marriage in the original one is she wants Aladdin to become sultan so that she can marry her because she has a desire for her husband to rule and to lead. 
right? He can't be because he's not the prince. And so that, that, you know, law gets changed at the end of it. But in this one, she wants to be the Sultan. And, and so it's not a, I want him to be a Sultan so I can follow him so he can lead, so he can rule like the Bible says, but it's, it's that sort of feminist. Well, why can't a woman be Sultan? And, and, and the movie makes it very obvious that she would be a much better Sultan than any of the men in the movie. And so it was just, again, this, this minor part, it's not the major part, but it kind of ruins the entire big idea of Aladdin that power corrupts and, and, and yet she becomes, they, they change the character into this like feminist, you know, power hungry woman who wants to, wants the role that she should not have because of the tradition. And so it kind of like the, the, the good big story of the entire movie kind of gets inverted because they did this, this one extra little thing. Now, you know, my, my daughter, you know, it wasn't enough for, to ruin it for my wife and, uh, you know, my daughter, you know, that those sort of nuances would have gone over her head, but it's just interesting that, you know, Disney can't keep its grubby paws off of a good story. No, they can't. Um, I, I find it funny. Uh, I wasn't going to see the new Aladdin anyway, hmm. because I don't like Will Smith. Um, I know you, yeah. I'm just, has anybody ever made more success out of less talent than that guy? But I, I just, yeah. <laughs> caveat, I repent if you're listening to this, Will Smith. I'm sure you're a great man, but like, well, I know you're not, but that's beside the point. Um, I wasn't going to see it anyway, just because he irritates me. Right. Um, but like, that makes me even, that makes me frustrated because like, here, here's the, here's two things. Okay. So, um, I don't think we have the right to, to change somebody's like, art if that makes sense so right. the original writers of aladdin wrote the story and it's theirs now disney probably owns it so they probably have the legal right to do it yeah but they told the story that was that was fine that story was good the right. original movie of aladdin is a good movie mm-hmm. disney is all all they're doing is coming out and changing it now to make it political point to yeah. make a statement to make well they yes they are making money because obviously when they put it put in a new live action version we're all going to go see it because that's just the way it is right they're, yeah they're drawing um, on nostalgia and yeah sure they didn't need to change anything nobody was going to watch the new the old aladdin movie redone if they kept it exactly word for word if they kept it exactly nobody's going to walk out of the theater and be like it was a bad movie right because we're going because we liked the original. <laughs> exactly. And so it's just very frustrating to me that they need, they feel the need to make these, these points as if like anybody who's going to the movie is all of a sudden going to change their opinion right. on women's rights. They're all of a sudden going to be like, Oh, Aladdin. Yeah. That that's what me. did it for me. That did it yeah. for me. Well, and it just, it, it makes it for an inconsistent message, right? Because now in, in the 2019 version, the only, the only people who get punished for their d- desire for power are the men. Right. Oh, I did. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, is the genie transgender? Uh, I, I don't think so. Um, but, uh, I, I feel like Colleen would have told me that one. Um, okay. Last thing. <laughs> and, and let's not even make any comments on this. I just, uh, so a couple of, of quick things, uh, uh, in the last couple of weeks. So the Supreme court isn't going to hear, um, the trans bathroom case that was brought before it. Um, they've just opted not to rule on it, not to, uh, take the case, which means that students can keep going into the opposite sex facilities as has been the case for, uh, the last little while. And, uh, and then the other one is, um, that the Supreme court, um, this came out on, uh, on at the end of May, 
Um, the Supreme Court won't uphold the ban on racist and sex-selective abortions. So there was some legislation that was put through um, about, uh, uh, it was in Indiana, it was signed into into law in Indiana, and Supreme Court won't uphold their ban on uh, uh, race or sex-selective abortions. So it's it's legal, and, and Supreme Court just upheld the right for parents to have an abortion simply because of the sex or the race of the child, you, you would assume that the the parents would know the the race. So I don't <laughs> I don't I don't know how that works out. But um, sex selective abortions have now been upheld by the Supreme Court. So how, how does okay, oh, sorry uh, you said not to comment, but I'm commenting. Um, okay. How does that work? Like if I can, so if I'm a white family, yep, and my my lady friend at this point has a baby with me we can then go in and abort it because we don't want a white child how is that not racist it i I don't think they're saying it's not racist i i'm i think what the supreme court like really how i read it is almost they're they're putting a hierarchy right racism isn't as bad as pro-life but isn't hate crimes in america isn't a hate crime a federal offense yeah, but yeah. So wouldn't me murdering somebody strictly based on their race be a hate crime? But but the problem is if they rule on that and they say that it is in fact murder, they've opened up a can of worms because now they've called certain abortions murders, right? So that's that's the problem. So the only reason I brought this up is yeah, simply because we got like there was remember the firestorm about Brett Kavanaugh? Yep. Brett Kavanaugh has had a horrible record on the Supreme Court so far, um, always siding with the liberals. And and so, he, like, this is why, as Christians, our faith cannot be in the Supreme Court. Like, it's not like if we get a majority on the Supreme Court that suddenly, you know, we've won the day. Because, number one, people let you down. And number two, that's not the way God changes the world. It's not through an oligarchy or whatever you would you would call the, you know, being ruled by the judges. So it's, um, it's sad to see the Supreme Court not, you know, not weighing in in favor of these things. But I think this just goes to a point that we've made lots. And that is don't rely on them. Don't put your faith in them. If you, if you put your faith and your trust in a Brett Kavanaugh to come and save America from Roe v. Wade, you're putting your faith in the wrong thing. So, all right, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back with uh, an episode on global missions. school students. You've got 10 weeks of summer vacation and you want to make them count. The Worldview Leadership Camp is a week-long unique camp experience on the beautiful Niagara Peninsula designed to equip high school age students to know, defend and apply their Christian faith in the midst of the intellectual and cultural challenges of our day. Learn from Christian apologist Joe Boot and a faculty of world-class scholars, theologians and cultural reformers from North America and beyond. Find out more and register at www.ezrainstitute.ca. Are you a university student or a young professional? Have you ever wrestled with how you can authentically think and act as a Christian when it comes to areas like education, politics, law, medicine, science, business, or arts and media? Then this program is for you. The Runner Academy is a two-week summer residential worldview training program hosted by the Ezra Institute to equip the next generation of Christian cultural leaders to understand, defend, and apply their faith. Learn more and apply at www.ezrainstitute.ca. Now, back to the Rebels. 
All right, so we're back, and uh, what we wanted to talk about today was global missions. We actually had uh, a couple of weeks ago an event at our church, uh, a global missions night, where we brought in some missionaries and uh, and heard from just some people who are doing different things around the world. It was a really great uh, night, and uh, we even got to hear from some missionaries who are in uh, what we call creative access countries um, because uh, it's not it's not uh, it's not legal for them to be there, and so uh, they can't even mention where they're from or uh, what they're doing there. And any of that kind of stuff, but you know, uh, they were able to come and share with us with, with it not going, you know, on, into the airwaves or anything. So, um, anyway, it was just a really, really great time. And one of the reasons we had this missions night is because what we've noticed. So, I've said this many times on the podcast. So, if you are a regular listener, this won't be a surprise to you. But uh, right now at Crossroads, we are preaching through the grand narrative of Scripture. So, we're trying to teach the Bible uh, through this year, just kind of picking out the the key themes. Um, what's the the narrative of the Bible and what's the grand story that that it's telling? And one of the things we keep coming back to, whether it's you know God um, talking to uh, Abraham or giving the cultural mandate to Adam and Eve and then to, to Noah, you know, fill the earth, uh, you know, uh, uh, subdue the earth, fill it. And, uh, and whether it's the, the line in Habakkuk or it's in numbers 14 as well, uh, the God's end game is to, uh, cover the earth with his glory as the waters cover the sea. Um, whether it's to, um, Abraham, when he makes a covenant with Abraham in, in Genesis 12 and says, you know, through your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed, whether it's the story of Jonah, right, going to Nineveh, going outside of Israel and bringing um, God's message of salvation to uh, a non-Jewish audience, whether it's the um, kind of internationalizing of God's rescue plan, his salvation that we see in the book of Daniel, right? You get to uh, Daniel chapter two and you get that that dream of Nebuchadnezzar where he sees the uh, the statue that represents the Babylonian and Medo-Persian and Greek and, and Roman empires. And the fact that, you know, Christ brings his kingdom and uh, during the time of that fourth kingdom, during the, the reign of Rome, smashes the, the kingdoms of, of man and sets up a, an everlasting kingdom that will last forever. Um, you know, you look at all these sorts of things in the Bible and you realize that the whole point of the Bible and the whole point of ancient Israel was that Israel was meant to be a conduit through which God blessed the whole world. God was always after the nations. And this is why, you know, when uh, it, when the psalmist writes in Psalm 2 of, of God's anointed one who he set on, on Zion, he says, you know, ask of me and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance, not just Israel, right? God was never after just a people, but they were supposed to be a kingdom of priests whose job was to show the world what their God was like and to bring his rule, his law, his word law to the rest of the world and and allow kind of the chaos of autonomy be harnessed by theonomy of you know God's law. And that's really the the grand narrative that we see over and over and over again, right? The the all of the prophets who seem to be chastising Israel for the way that they've lost their, their mission, their, their way, it seems to be that, you know, you've used God's blessings to expire on yourself and not use them to reach the nations with the goodness and the greatness of God like you were supposed to. So, um, so we kind of want to talk about missions because we've been seeing this as we've been studying our way through. We just had this, this night. And, uh, and so we said, you know, we, we, we talk a lot about engaging culture right around us, but let's, let's talk a little bit about missions globally. Yeah, I, th- I think I think you're bang on the fact that the 
we we're quick and we're quick to see the Bible as as a book about redemption, about our own individual salvation. Salvation. Yeah. And it is that. For sure. It is a story about obviously the the spoiler alert, the book the book is about Jesus <laughs> and what and basically what he's done for us. That's right. Yes. But the Bible is also a book about mission. It's about God's mission to display his glory to the entire world using us to do so That's to right. do so. And if you using through, those those who are redeemed, exactly. right? So it is about redemption, but it's about those who are redeemed then becoming the mission the means by which God gets the world. Exactly. We we've we've made the comment on the podcast, you, we've made the comment I think both of us have said this from the pulpit at certain points. You well me copying you. Um, but we said that there's a reason that you're not zapped to heaven the moment you're saved. Right. Because you're left with a mission. You're That's left right. with a purpose. You're, we're here for a purpose. And so the Bible is a missionary textbook. It's, you see, as you said a moment ago, Israel is set apart to display God's glory to who? Everyone else. That's right. There's a reason that they are different and, and purposely made different to show God's glory to everybody else. Now there's things that happen to them. So God displays his glory through them in miraculous ways. And sometimes it's through ordinary ways. And then if you fast forward all the way through the old Testament, we get obviously the story of Jesus and what is he doing? He's displaying his own glory to the, to the world rightly. And then the rest of the Bible is what letters to other cities telling about the glory of God. It's a, it's missionary letters. Right. And we so often forget that the root reason for all these letters written are not just for us to now debate over the yeah, theology. It's not just now. about ecclesiology. <laughs> exactly. Right. It's their missionary tech, their missionary letters. Right. And they're Paul writing letters to churches that he's planted in other countries to correct things. And yes, all those things are true, but like they're they're it's a missionary book. And so I think we need to remember that as Spurgeon says, there is no other option for us as Christians. You can't be a Christian and not a missionary. You're either a missionary or you're not actually a Christian. You're right. an imposter, as every, you would say. Yeah. I think the the line is every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Just, and just boom. <laughs> boom is it. Dispurge. Boom is right because we have a tendency, and I think a flawed tendency in our society to think missionary means people who are in Japan or people who are in... Africa or somebody who we're going to see once a year and they're going to talk and we're probably not going to go that Sunday. Um, let's be yeah, honest. We've all it. done that. We've all, we've all had that moment where, where we're like, that's the missionary Sunday. I wonder right. if uh, the church down the road has right. music, you know what right. I mean? And we've all done that because yeah. we don't, we don't associate us with missionaries. And I think we need to start remembering we're all missionaries. So just break Nate was yawning. So. Sorry, that'll be one edit point, Dave. I was, <laughs> y- I was yawning and I could not <laughs> respond. Yeah, I thought you were going <laughs> to <turn> away. Um. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think that, um, so so two things that we kind of want to, in, in terms of application points um, for uh, this this idea that, you know, the grand narrative of scripture really is about the, the mission of God and obviously, we'll take a moment to plug what what we would say is probably one of our favorite books, and that is Mission of God by Jill Boot. Um, but uh, so the first application point would be wherever you are, you are a missionary, 
right? So like, like Spurgeon said, you're, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And so I think that's the first kind of application point. And then the second one I would say is, but don't disregard global missions, right? Um, it's interesting that um, we, we, we kind of feel like missionary work, overseas missionary work is a calling, Right. And it was interesting at the at the kind of Q&A roundtable that we had at the event. um, This is a a couple of the questions that was posed to the missionaries was, you know, when did God call you onto the mission field? And I love that, you know, all the missionaries who were there were basically like, well, I wasn't really called like a couple of them kind of said it was it was small acts of obedience that led to, you know, bringing me overseas. But none of them gave like a, a moment. They were just like, well, you know we don't really need to be called because we were commanded. And that, that brings me to something that you and I have both been challenged by that David Platt said, where he's like, if you haven't been command or if you haven't been called to stay, you've been commanded to go. And I think, you know, the, the thought, and, and I'll tell you, there, there are lots of people in our church who come into my office and, and we often get talking about purpose and mission when people are, are caught up in anxiety, depression, you know, those sorts of things, because I think a lot of those things are the result of purposelessness. And, um, and I would say that um, one of the reasons we see so many apathetic, unengaged Christians is because none of them have a sense of mission, right? So they, they have that mentality that you just spoke against where, uh, Jesus died on the cross for my sins to secure my spot in heaven. And now I live in his grace. And when I stand before him, you know, I, I'll be, you know, I'll get to go to the good place, not the bad place. So, so we reduce the storyline of the Bible to Jesus dying for my personal salvation so that I can go to heaven one day. And I think that no wonder so many Christians are depressed. It's no wonder so many Christians, uh, wonder about their own salvation, are paralyzed with fear that they're not actually saved, are are feeling the same despondency and despair that the world is, because to to become a Christian is to get swept up in the story that God is telling. And if you don't understand that the story that God is telling is missional to its core, right? So, So like real quick snapshot, it's, you know, God set Adam and Eve in in a garden paradise, gave them everything that they wanted with one command, do not eat of this tree. They ate of it, they disobeyed, and with their disobedience, death and sin came into the world. And then the entire rest of the story is God's mission to bring humanity back to himself and to restore fallen creation. That's, that's the whole, that's the mission. Restore the world that we plunged into darkness through what Jesus did for us on the cross. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's, a, that's a mission. That's a mission that has economic and ec- ec- ecological and environmental and relational realities. And, you know, I, I remember you saying, one time when you were talking about kind of how to be missionally focused at work, you said I mean, the first thing that you have to recognize is that your job is not to sell cars, sell insurance, you know, whatever it is that you do in your nine to five. That's not your job. That's what you get paid for. But your job is to make disciples. Your job is to expand the mission of God in that sphere. And and I would just say on top of that, that 
the need for the gospel is is certainly strong in our culture, but it's stronger in other places of the world. Like, don't get me wrong, Canada, America, we need missionaries, but there are still people groups on earth who have never heard the gospel. There are still languages that the Bible has not been translated into. And we we look at, we, we celebrate and read the biographies of men like William Tyndale, who spent his life to translate the Bible into a language that it had not been translated into. And that's what we need. Like maybe there's a listener who's listening right now and, and you are skilled in languages. Maybe you are skilled in languages because God knit you together in your mother's womb with that in mind so that you can spend your life translating the Bible into a dialect where only 700 people in the mountains of Indonesia um, are, are, you know, are, are awaiting the scriptures to be translated into their language. Like, where's the William Tyndale of our generation who's going to spend their life doing that? And I think we've just we, we've become so consumed with our own lives that we uh, that we 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 wait for a calling for that, and we forget. No, that's what everyday ordinary obedience looks like. That's what Jesus said. Go. So if you're not called to stay, if you don't have a reason to stay, you're commanded to go. Yeah, I would I that that's all everything you said there. I was just like my heart was fluttering. I was so happy. <laughs> um but yeah, that's that's exactly right. Like I two things I'm gonna say on that. I'm sorry, I'm, there's so much in my mind yeah. that uh you don't just need a skill either. I think that's another fallacy that that people think about missions is that you that oh I, I'm not a nurse I'm not I, like what am I going to bring to these right. people the only thing of value that you can bring to those people is Jesus right everything and, else is just a foot in the door <laughs> exactly right it's just it's just a means to the end and right. the end is to bring them Christ and even in that God does the work all you have to do is be the one faithfully proclaiming it he'll even give you the words to say in that time because if you proclaim his word, if you're reading his word and preaching his word, it's not you speaking, it's his words. Right. So all you have to do is be the one that's willing to get on the plane or the one that's willing to go to the neighborhoods. Um, the other, the other like caveat I would, I always want to point is cause this is the, this is the major pushback and you said it and I thought it was, I thought it was brilliant, but I want to come back to it is when I said, yes, our, our neighborhoods need missionaries too. The difference I would say between I think why I think more Christians should be going on global missions than staying home um, is that the church is here already. You're a pastor and you've been called to be a pastor. Right. I don't think God's called you onto the mission field in the last 20 minutes, but maybe he has. But right. like, um, but you you've been called to stay. Right. Which means God has a point to use you here to build his kingdom. God will build his own kingdom. We don't have to worry about that. So all the people who are already in the kingdom have been commanded to go. So we should all go out. And then all the people who you're here to stay, to bring, then have room to come in and fill the places of all the people who are leaving. How many many people have you counseled through who are like, I can't go. Who's going to lead the worship at at the church? (laughs) Well, somebody else will do that. That's not my concern. My concern is like there, how many people in our church are living purposely because they don't have a role in the church because none of the people who are in our church, not our church, when I say our church, I mean the church are like, we're all happy with what we're doing and we're not willing to like replace ourselves or to like, be like, I'm just going to go and do something else and let somebody else take over what, what I've done. How many people are purposelessness because their purpose is to replace me. Right. And, and, and so many 
pastors. So it's, it's not just pastors. So two things I want to say to that. Number one, and maybe we'll come back to this (laughs) is you don't need to be called to full-time ministry here in order to be called here, right? Like it's not just full-time ministry, right? But I would say that there are all kinds of jobs that you could do elsewhere, Right. There are a lot of people whose job is mobile, who who have, you know, can 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 do things in another country just as easily as they can here. And so we're not saying that, you know, you're either called to be a pastor here or you're called to go. We're not saying that. But but we are saying your default should be I'm commanded to go. Am I called to stay? Um, so but the, the second thing there is, I think there are a lot of pastors who because they want a church that's bigger, right? Like uh, pastors, you know, sometimes we default to like, you know, reducing the success of our ministry down to church growth. And if we're not, if the church isn't growing, which means going to a second service, going to a third service, building a builder, bigger building, yada, yada, yada. Our strategies for growth are just wrong, right? Our strategy for growth should be that we should be sending people out at a faster clip than we are bringing people in or as fast a clip as we are bringing people in because we don't need bigger church buildings. We, we don't. There are a lot of churches in Canada. <laughs> there are a lot of churches in Ingersoll. There are a lot of churches in our communities. And, and so, you know, and, and don't get me wrong, church planting is a good thing and we should be planting churches here in Canada. But wouldn't it be great if our church, let's say our church would just stand at the 200 mark and we had the the resources and the supplies and the building to facilitate a 200 person congregation, but we're sending out missionaries for every new family that comes into the church. Um, one of the old ones disappear. One of the old ones disappear. And and not because we've, we've axed them, <laughs> not, not because they've gone to the other church down the street, but because we've sent them overseas because we actually sent them on missions. Um, you know, I, and I think that's a far more biblical view of, of how we ought to be growing as, as churches. We ought not to be growing just numerically into a bigger building. We ought to be growing and being um, overturned because we're sending people out. And that's not happening. It's not happening at Crossroads, right? It's, it's, it's not happening at a lot of churches. And I think part of the reason is, is because um, we are, well, I mean, this goes back to a theme we've talked about a lot. We, we are being unfaithful in a time of blessing, right? So our time of blessing is that we can live a pretty good lifestyle that isn't much of a struggle. And we got our Netflix, we got our cell phones, we got our t- money taken care of in our supermarkets. And so it's so easy to just kind of fall into a life of luxury um, and, and forget the mission that we're actually on. And I think we've just kind of been lulled to sleep. Yeah, I, th- I think um, one of the things I've been thinking about recently is that the idea that if you've never if you've never had a serious debate with yourself about being a missionary as a Christian, I worry for you. And what mm. I mean by that is because every Christian is is a missionary, as Spurgeon says. Every Christian is also a theo- theologian. Our our entire lives once we're once we're saved is to know God. That is eternal life, knowing mm. God. Knowing God means you know his purpose and you know his mission and you know his, his desire to see people know him. And if, so if you claim to know God and if you claim to love him and worship him, but have never had that 
that argument with yourself about missions, basically about going yourself, then I, then I would, then I worry about that. That's because I think the two things are so linked together that you can't, you can't know the mind of, know the mind of God and love God and not also be on, be on mission for him. I'm not saying like everybody then therefore everybody who isn't a mission, isn't a Christian a Christian. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is like everybody who hasn't at least had that conversation, that to me is a, is a red flag warning. Yep. Um, and then you get told, am I to stay? Am I to go? Am I to make missions? So let's, let's end with that. Uh, I, we don't, with that whole idea that there's, there's three options when, when dealing yep. with missions. So this came out of CrossCon last year. So we had a bunch of friends who went down to CrossCon and this came out of CrossCon. I think this was kind of one of the application things that they ended CrossCon with. Yeah. And the cross conference for any of you who don't know, if you, if, if you never want to be a missionary, don't go to CrossCon <laughs> because, uh, um, it's, it's just, it's a phenomenal. So it's, it's Piper, it's Platt, it's Greer. It's, it's a bunch of guys who are very, very passionate about mission. And, uh, and it's basically, I think their goal is to gather all the young people they can and like convict them to the point of going on missions. Well, I, I, I I think I've said it on a video or something. My my favorite sermon of all time is is John Piper at Passion in 2000. Yeah, which I wasn't even a Christian yet, but mm-hmm. he preached to a, a young generation saying, "Don't waste your life." Yeah, and the and the point of his "Don't waste a life" was don't don't make a life that's ultimate goal, ultimate mission. If you want to put your life in a mission, right. is to retire well. Yeah, to live comfortably, have the picket fence, have the house. Yeah, make your life's goal to see the kingdom grow. Yeah in whatever facet God uses you to do that. And that might be by getting a picket fence, by getting a boat, by getting all the, right. that might be how God uses you to be on mission. Totally. totally. It's very possible. Yep. But don't waste your, like make sure that that's what, like not your goal, your mission. It's God's mission that you've aligned yourself yep. with. So um, um, just before you get to that, that last thing, cause I just want to give a little bit of practical advice t- for families. And by families, I don't mean just people with kids. I mean, couples, sure. Christian couples, Christian families. Um, I, I would encourage you to, um, I remember, um, this is one thing, um, we did as a family, um, when like my parents did it with us and that was during a time when my, when my family was, was, um, healthy and functional, I'll say. Um, but, uh, they did this and it was, it was always something that could be viewed very, very cheesy, but it's definitely something that we'll be doing as our kids grow up. And that is have a missions, have a mission statement as a family, Mm. like know what your family is about. So give yourself a, a mission statement and give yourself some, some kind of guidelines, rules, you know, application points for that mission statement so that your family is about something. Right. And, and I say that because, um, you know why teenagers rebel? You know why like teenagers go out and test the world? It's because the world seems more exciting than Christianity to them. And so have a mission as a family and whatever that looks like. I mean, it can be as theologically as like, you know, our mission as a family is to know God and to enjoy him forever. I mean, you can do the whole Westminster Catechism thing, but, um, but I mean, like have a mission like, like, and, and maybe it has to do with your own community. Maybe it has to do with reaching your own neighbors. Like maybe your mission statement as a family is, is to be salt and light on Notre Dame road or wherever it is that you are. Um, but, but have a mission statement as a family so that you guys, and, and, and use that as, as dinner table conversation. How did, how did you involve yourself in our family mission today? You know, whatever the case may be. And I, I, I think that is so, so valuable. Like one of the things at Crossroads, I think that really helped 
um, you know, in the, there were a lot of theological transitions when I got to the church. There were some missional transitions that came to the church. And one of the things that really helped was when we developed the mission statement, right? And it seems super simplistic, but we say Crossroads is about sharing the story of Jesus and what he's done for us. And we can break that down. That means knowing the story of Jesus. It means knowing the grand narrative. It means knowing what he's accomplished for us. And then the sharing part is, is being evangelistic in the spheres in which we've been placed um, and, and taking that, that life-transforming message of Jesus to people. Um, but that helps because it, it filters everything that we do through that. You know, why, why should we have an international missions night? Well, does it help us in our mission to share the story of Jesus and what he's done for us? Should we, you know, uh, help, you know, partner with this church to do this thing for the missions, uh, for the, uh, uh, food kitchen? Should we, you know, do this for the, um, uh, you know, VBS or whatever the case may be. It all comes down to, we, we know what our mission statement is. We know who we are and we know what we're trying to accomplish. And I think families and couples should be doing that as well. Um, okay. You wanted to end with, uh, this, this cross con call. And I think it's a brilliant one. So let's end with that. Go for it. All right. So they, they, they say there are three options when you're dealing with the idea of missions. So the first one is go yourself, go be a missionary, go be a missionary. The Bible's clear, like you said. We've said it earlier in this in this point. Yep. We're all commanded to go. Yeah, there's the, the, all authority, heaven and earth, has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all. And and if we always want to use the Bible, look at the examples we have, and they're all men who went. Yeah. Um. So wrestle with that. Yeah. And Sec- and the whole goal of sanctification is to become Christ-like, and Christ left heaven, left home, left comfort to come down into a dark, broken world to fix it was willing to lay down his life yeah. for the will of the Father. So we, have to, we can go yeah. on to a whole <laughs> thing on. on that. Yeah. Uh, next week will be Jesus the missionary. Um, second, second option is, like, okay, so what, what if there is a, a reason for you not to able, able to go or you've been called, maybe you've been called to stay? Yeah. Well, that means you now have the, the choice to send somebody. Right. And what do we mean by that? Well, just like we fund. talked about last week, fund them. Yeah. Find somebody, invest in them, train yep. them, teach them what you know so that they can go. Yeah. Because or just resource them, pray for them, like like be a sender. Yeah. Be somebody who comes alongside somebody doing mission. And that doesn't that doesn't abdicate you of the responsibility to be a missionary in your sphere still, but then find somebody who's going overseas, find somebody who's fulfilling the Great Commission and practically help them. Yeah. Get invested in, in their mission. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like uh like so Speak with encouraging them. letters, encouraging. exactly prayer, all those things. All, yeah, all so, those things. So go, send, or be disobedient. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so really, you only have two options because the other one ought not to be an option. Well, but, but that's but that's the point. And how how often do we find ourselves like? I remember somebody telling me who was a head elder of a church once that whenever there was a problem at the church, the first thing that the first budget that got cut was the missions budget. Yeah. Because it's the one that tangibly to the most of the congregation doesn't have an impact. Right. And so Lord forbid it's the the pastor's computer fund. <laughs> right? Like come on. Or a cell phone yeah. bill. Um, yeah. but I mean it's it's one of those things where to not be on mission is just to be disobedient. Right. And an we are called we are Spurge would say <laughs> we're not called to, to disobedience we're called to obedience yeah and so therefore go or send somebody those are the only two options don't be disobedient good job all right uh well we finally got to this episode on mission hope you enjoyed it uh we'll see you next week and go check us out at uh the facebook page the website and the patreon